thought that actually I was going to speak on Psalm um, 42 and 43, but I think because it's um, because it's Palm Sunday, I thought we should at least read the story and think a little bit about about uh, Jesus arriving in Jerusalem. And um, I'm standing because I've got a sore back, so you'll have to forgive me. I can't sit for more than five minutes at a time. It just is, uh, uh, now that we're off lectures, I've, I've pretended that I'm able to do manual work and uh, went at it too hard and now paying the consequences. Anyway, the, the passage I'd like to read to you is Matthew chapter 21, and uh, I'll read the first 11 verses of Matthew chapter 21. Now, when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethpage, or Phage, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord needs them and he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, and on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them, they brought the donkey and the colt and put on, put on them their clothes, and he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up, saying, Who is this? And the crowd said, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. Well, let's just pray and ask the Lord to help us. Lord, we pray that as we think about these verses for a few minutes, that you'll minister to our hearts. And we pray that you'll bless us as we meet together like this. And we ask around your word, and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, <coughs> Jesus is on his way from, uh, well, really from Galilee in the north. And uh, he has made his way steadily uh, down through the country. He has just visited Jericho, where he met Zacchaeus. Uh, you remember the little man that was in a sycamore tree and uh, went home with Zacchaeus and transformed his life. And uh, then he made his way, it seems, on uh, towards Jerusalem. And that's really where we break into the story. It's the final journey of Jesus to Jerusalem. At the end of this week, of course, uh, he will be crucified and then on Easter Sunday and Easter Sunday is always coming. He will rise again from the dead. So this, as we enter uh, this story, we are entering the final week of Jesus' life. 
Now, I just want to look at three different aspects of this uh, passage that I've looked, we've read together. I want us, first of all, uh, to think about the journey, a little bit about the colt or the donkey, and a little bit about the crowd. So those are the three things I just want to try and focus on for a few minutes. But first of all, um, a little bit about the journey. So you think about this journey uh, into Jerusalem. 33 years of Jesus' life is now coming to a conclusion. 30 of those years was spent in Nazareth, living in obscurity as the carpenter's son, probably working as a carpenter. Um, then for the last three years, or at least the best part of three years, Jesus has been involved in uh, his public ministry and um, preaching and ministering to people, healing the sick, preaching sermons, telling all kinds of stories. Um, but here he is uh, now entering Jerusalem. And we know that it's Passover time uh, because that's why Jesus had come to Jerusalem. And, and that's why the crowds had come to Jerusalem because it was Passover time. And huge crowds had come to Jerusalem from all over the country if not from all over the world, but certainly from all over the country. Now, John MacArthur in his commentary uh, talks about a period just 10 years later to this period that we're thinking about here now. And he says that 10 years later, at one Passover, 260,000 Passover lambs were slaughtered. And a Passover lamb could be actually offered on behalf of 10 people. So there, were a, there was a huge crowd of people in Jerusalem for the Passover. Someone has estimated that it could have been as many as 2 million people had uh, crushed into uh, Jerusalem for the Passover. In verse 9 of the passage that we read, we see that the crowds were in front of him and behind him. And as they walked with Jesus uh, towards this great feast, little did they know that they were accompanying the great Passover lamb, the one that all of the Passover lambs in the Old Testament had actually been pointing towards. This is the one that is without spot and without blemish. This one that they're walking with, this one that they're greeting, meeting, uh, he, he, he is uh, the one who, can, um, who will be offered on, on, on behalf of people so that their sins might be forgiven. And he is the only eligible and adequate substitute for men and women. The other lambs were all offered involuntary. They didn't have a say on it. But here's the great Passover lamb coming uh, to be offered on God's altar on our behalf. And those who walked with him, by and large, didn't really understand who he was or what he was coming to do. And uh, I, I was thinking a little bit about that. It, it's possible, isn't it, uh, to walk with Jesus in the sense that you think you know him, or you think that you know about him. You know lots of things. You've heard some of the stories that he's told, the Good Samaritan, the story of the lost sheep. Uh, these folks that were walking with Jesus had heard about his miracles, the feeding of the 5,000, maybe even some of them were there. But they didn't really appreciate who Jesus really was and that he was the great Passover lamb. 
And it's possible to know a lot about Jesus, but not really know Jesus. And I hope that all of us, uh, and, and I guess this time gives us an opportunity to stop and think, do we really know who Jesus is? Well, the other thing that struck me uh, was uh, the fact that he took this journey, not just with crowds of people around him, but he also took this journey on the back of a donkey or on the back of a colt. So we see that we'll think about this in just a minute or two, but the, the disciples are sent into Beth uh, Page to get a, a, a colt. So a, a young donkey, an unbroken animal along uh, with his mother. And... Um, so um, what, I, what I wanted you to think about as, as we see Jesus sitting on the back of a donkey, what I want you to think about as we see Jesus sitting on the back of a donkey is that um, I think this is a fulfillment of prophecies that were made in the Old Testament um, concerning Jesus. And... Uh, particularly that prophecy in Zechariah 9, verse 9, speaking of the Messiah, the prophet said, See, your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt and on the fall of a donkey. And uh, so in Old Testament times, uh, often kings would ride in, on donkeys uh, during a time of peace. So, for instance, if you look at 1 Kings chapter 1, verse 33, you'll see that um, Saul, David told them to take Solomon and crown him king, and they were to take him on a white donkey, uh, and he was to be crowned as the king of Israel. And oftentimes, during uh, periods of peace, a king would ride around on a donkey, and it, was a, it, was, it symbolized that he didn't need to rush around because of the peace that he had secured um, for the country that he ruled over. And I think that that's one of the reasons why Jesus came riding on a donkey, not just to fulfill this Old Testament prophecy, but also to reflect the fact that he was the great Prince of Peace and he was coming to make peace with God and uh, coming to make uh, not just peace with God, but allow us through the work that he would do on the cross to be at peace with ourselves. And, you know, I was thinking a little bit about this virus that has struck. There is a sense in which we're at war almost with nature. We're living in a broken world, and it's almost like nature is at war with us. But in this new world that Jesus has come uh, to create and through his cross to restore us to, it will be a world of absolute peace. And we won't be at war with nature. We'll be at peace with nature as we'll be in a new heaven and, and a new earth. But the thing that I just want to leave you with is that Jesus came riding on a donkey because he is the great prince of peace. And uh, he can bring peace to our troubled hearts. And I hope that you know something of his peace. The other thing is interesting is that it, it's, a, it's a colt, so it was an unbroken animal. And that also shows Jesus' power. So he's demonstrated his power in the Gospels. He can stand on a boat and speak to the winds and the waves and they obey him. He can uh, bring calm to a demon-possessed man who is self-harming and living in the tombs. 
He has demonstrated his power. He's even demonstrated his power over death as he raised Lazarus from the dead. But, but here he demonstrates his power over this animal. And, and Jesus is the one that can uh, exercise his power to bring peace uh, to our troubled hearts. Well, anyway, the second thing that I want you to think about is the donkey then. So he sends his two disciples into this village and asks them, tells them that they're going to find uh, two donkeys at a crossroads, actually. Mark tells us it was at a crossroads. Uh, a mother and, and uh, her colt. And they were to bring uh, this colt and the mother to him. And he was going, obviously, to ride into uh, Jerusalem on, on its back. Now, I don't know how Jesus knew that those donkeys were there in the village. And there's a variety of suggestions. One suggestion is that maybe he'd made arrangements with um, the owner of the donkey at a previous point when he had visited the village. Maybe this is one of those incidents in the Gospels where Jesus demonstrates his omniscience, the fact that he knows everything. And, and maybe as the second member of the Trinity, because he knew everything, he knew exactly where these donkeys would be uh, knowing everything. And the truth is, I don't know which of those two suggestions make the most sense to you, but um, very, very, very uh, interesting that Jesus knew that the donkeys would be there. But, but, but what I am convinced of, whichever of those two scenarios is true, and when I get to heaven, I'll ask Jesus, did you make prior arrangements? Or did, was it the fact that you were the second member of the Trinity and you knew that they would be there? Um, but here's the, second, here, here's the thing that I want you to think about. Jesus had it all on hand. He had everything under control. All the arrangements that needed to be made, he took care of them. Every detail, he allowed these disciples to go and get these donkeys and bring them to him so that he could ride into Jerusalem and fulfill Old Testament prophecies. And, you know, this virus has caught many of us by surprise. I mean, at the beginning of the year, we didn't even know it, it existed. And here we are in lockdown, shut down completely. Can't leave our homes except for uh, the purposes of exercise, food, and, and, and to go to the pharmacy or doctor or medical needs. But, but I think we need to remind ourselves that, that this didn't come as a surprise to the Lord. He has this in hand. And uh, this is under his control. It, it may seem... Uh, out of control to us, but it's not out of control to the Lord. And in the middle of it all, he's fulfilling his purpose. The other thing that struck me was the, the instructions that he gave to them. You know, you can imagine if somebody showed up at your house and started to take your car away, you'd be saying, so where are you going with my car? And who gives you the right to take my car? So when these disciples arrived at this person's house and started to take his donkeys away, he was obviously going to ask, so where are you going with my donkeys? Or and who gives you the right to take them? And, and they were instructed to say, the Lord hath need of them. That was all they had to say. And, and, they would, and the gentleman or the lady, whoever owned the donkeys, would immediately give them to them. And what a great answer to lots and lots of questions. Because the Lord said so. Or because the Lord needs it. You know, why should I forgive people that offend me again and again and again? Because the Lord said so. Is he, is he my Lord or is he not my Lord? Why, why should I give my life to Christ? Because the Lord of glory says we should. And uh, 
Why should I love my wife? Because the Lord says so. And, and the Lordship question is really a great, it's a great answer to many questions. What is it that, that my Lord wants me to do? And if the Lord wants this man to give the donkeys, then he gives them. So lastly, and with this I'm finished, um, the crowd, just a couple of things. First of all, their excitement. Uh, they're pulling branches off the, off the trees and laying them on the ground. They are crying as they see David approach, uh, Jesus approach Jerusalem, save now, or Hosanna, son of David, which means save now. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. And the mood is really at fever pitch. Uh, they seem to indicate that they believe that Jesus is the son of David, the son that was promised to David. Uh, that's why they're crying, save now, son of David. Um, and often this is the kind of greeting that kings would receive after they had been off and fought a great battle. And as they returned to their home city, the crowds would come out and greet them and, and praise them. And it's a bit like that scene here that Jesus, as he rides into Jerusalem, is being praised by, uh, he's being praised by the crowds. And there is a sense in which that's appropriate. Jesus hasn't fought a battle, he is coming to fight a battle in Jerusalem. He's coming to defeat sin. He's coming to defeat death. And it's right that he should praise and uh, be praised. And, and actually, the terms that are used, Hosanna in the highest heaven, uh, is really appropriate, isn't it? Because this is the one who has been sent from heaven. This is the one who is to be exalted in the heavens. And uh, it's right that they cry, Hosanna in the highest uh, heaven. Um, but again, as we think about uh, Jesus making his way through this week, and as many of us will try and follow the journey of Jesus through this week, and we'll come to Good Friday where he was crucified, and then we'll come to Saturday where he lay in the ground, and then we'll come to Easter Sunday when he rose again from, from, from the grave. And, and the words of the crowd are, are, I think, appropriate. Hosanna in the highest heaven, because Jesus has come uh, to win a great battle for us. But the last thing is just, uh, you know, the fickleness of the crowd. We look at this crowd, thousands of them in front of Jesus, behind Jesus, all around Jesus. But you, and, and we listen to them saying, Hosanna, son of David, save now. And uh, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And Hosanna in the highest heavens. But by the end of the week, the majority of this crowd will be saying, away with this man and release unto us Barabbas. By the end of the week, the majority of this crowd who are praising him now will be shouting, crucify him, crucify him. And uh, there's a duplicity, a fickleness in this crowd. But I, I, I was thinking last night, actually, as I went to bed, I was thinking, not everybody in that crowd was fickle. There was at least a group of women who remained committed to him, who stood with him at the cross, who watched as his body was taken down from the cross and laid to rest. They were the first people there on Easter Sunday morning. This group of women were the first people to witness the resurrection, the empty tomb, and the first 
the first people to whom Jesus appeared. They were the folks who experienced the risen Christ first. And I thought about this huge crowd and their fickleness, and I thought, well, they weren't all fickle. There was a group of women who remained committed to him all the way through that week. And uh, my prayer is that we'll remain committed to the Lord and we'll remain resolute in our love for him and in our desire to follow him and that we'll emulate not the crowd who are kind of here today but gone tomorrow, but we'll emulate the group of women who remain faithful to him right to the bitter end. And that's my prayer for all of us in the middle of this crisis, that God would help us to remain faithful, uh, faithful to him. And when our life's work is ended and we cross the swelling tide, the wonderful thing is his smile will be the first to welcome us. Well, that's all I really have to share with you. So I'm going to hand back to Graham if he's there. Hopefully he's still there. Thanks very much, Robert. We're just in a few minutes just going to share just from our homes in a time of